Loved ones, would you rather be given a false hope or none at all? <laughs> Dad didn't do his job yesterday. I was supposed to sign up for these email alerts if, if my son's soccer game were getting canceled or moved or postponed or things like that. And sure enough, because of weather and field conditions, they had been postponed and canceled already on Thursday or Friday. I'm not sure which one because I didn't sign up for the alerts. And so Saturday morning, of course, there was the mad dash, the mad rush to get the cleats in the bag and, and get some chores done and, and get the soccer jersey washed and ready to go and hop in the car and get out there and arrange to take the sun to be early and get back and come the rest of the family and, get, and nothing at the field. Sure, it would have been disappointing to hear that there was no soccer game already on Friday. But now you add to that, getting the hopes up that we're going to play our first one, getting all ready to go, doing all that work to get ready to go, and we could have been doing th other things. And so we had a false hope held out to us. And then, nothing. It was Sunday of Passover week. And with hundreds of other people, Jesus was walking along roads that all led to the same place, the same city, Jerusalem. And everyone was excited, looking forward to a week off of celebrating Peshach Ladonai, the Lord's Passover, the, the, the big celebration of their freedom and independence and the promise of a, a Savior to come. Kind of Christmas and Easter and Fourth of July, as you've heard before, all rolled into one for them. And Jesus and his disciples were somewhat fearful because they knew Jesus had some pretty lethal enemies waiting for them, but they were also excited because they were most likely going to stay at their friend's house where they had stayed before. The house of Mary and her sister Martha and brother Lazarus, and they were looking forward to seeing them. But it was early enough on Sunday that they could, they could go into the city and look around and, and see people and see what was going on before they went back to their friend's house. And so they did, but not before Jesus made a strange request. Go into the village ahead of you, he said, and as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. For almost three years now, Jesus and his 12 disciples had been traveling all over the country on foot. Every once in a while, they went by boat. Never by donkey. So why in the world would Jesus suddenly when all of these people are walking into Jerusalem and, and only, I assume, the, the very young and the very old were getting a ride, would Jesus, at 33 years old, short walk away, say, I need a ride? They didn't know what was going on, Jesus' disciples, but because they knew they could trust him, they went ahead and followed Jesus' directions. Sure enough, they went into the village and they, they found this young colt and they untied it. And sure enough, the, the owners of this colt were there and saying, um, 
what are you doing with our donkey? And the disciples followed Jesus' directions and told them the Lord needs it. And even though they didn't know what was going on, the owners of the donkey trusted Jesus and they went ahead and they let the disciples have it and take it away. Now, I want you to imagine something. Imagine that we did something a little bit different for our custom on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, we have the candlelight Christmas Eve service where everyone gets a candle at the end of the service and, and we all sing Silent Night together. But imagine for a moment that you got a candle when you came in here at the beginning of the service and you lit it and then you went back outside with your lit candle and you formed two rows where people that were coming to worship could walk right up the row of candles into the church and get their own candle and go outside and, and join as you sing Silent Night, Holy Night, and they respond, all is calm, all is bright. That's what Jerusalem was like at Passover, only instead of holding candles, they held palm branches. And they sang to each other songs that they had been singing for years, taken from the Psalms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They would sing. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. As they were lining the streets and those that were walking into the city said, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Only this year, there was some extra joy in their singing. An extra pep in their step as they stood there because they were trying to get a glimpse of someone they heard was coming who had done all sorts of miracles and preached like no one else and had even raised a dead man back to life. They were trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and they wanted to see him badly. They didn't know everything that was going on, but they knew that they wanted to see him. They knew they trusted him. And so they shouted their, their usual praises to God at the, even louder at the sight of Jesus riding that donkey. Of course, not everybody loved him. There were Jesus' enemies, those who, who, who taught that you worked your way into heaven, not that you were saved by his grace or by his free forgiveness. And they noticed that more people were drawn to him than them and they were afraid of losing not only members of their church but political power because of it. And so they told Jesus, hush your disciples down you see, they kind of had an inkling of what was going on, but they did not trust Jesus. And so they told him, make your disciples be quiet, to which Jesus replied, well, I could, but then the stones would just start making noise. That wasn't hope. But Jesus' disciples, the owners, the people lining the streets who trusted Jesus, they had hope in their hearts. That's what hope is. Hope is not necessarily knowing everything that is going on in your life, but because you trust Jesus, you keep going on. There's a popular statement among Christians, and it's brought a lot of comfort to us, especially when things go haywire in our life brings us a lot of comfort. And, but we have to watch out for this statement too because 
As what happens when anything becomes popular, it can be very easily misunderstood and misused. And it's the words, God has a plan. God has a plan. It's a statement of hope. It's a statement that says, I don't know everything that's going on, but I can trust Jesus so I can keep going. God has a plan, says the person looking for a house when offers keep falling through. God has a plan, says the couple who wants a family of three or four or more, but their family size remains at two. God has a plan, says the person whose doctor is having a hard time looking him in the eye as he's explaining to him test results that he wasn't expecting and didn't want to see. It's a hopeful thing to say God has a plan. It's even in the Bible. Jeremiah 29.11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it's wonderful that like Jesus' disciples, we don't always know what's going on, but we know that we can trust him, so we keep going ahead. We work at accepting bad news, at frustration over things that are happening that we don't want to. And when they do, we put our trust in God. But, but we also have to watch out. We must always remember that God's plans are not always the things that we hope will happen, but what He knows we need to happen. God's plans are always good, but they don't always feel good. God's plans are always good because they always have something to do with faith and salvation and our life in heaven. And it doesn't mean it always makes for a happy life here. Later, as Jesus rose from the dead, it dawned on the disciples that all these things that, that happened to Jesus, not just his entry into Jerusalem, but then his suffering and dying, the crowds turning on him, soldiers beating him, and pinning him to a cross, their own hearts giving into fear and shame and running away. All of that happened as part of God's plan. Plan that was, was prophesied hundreds of years ago, down to the details of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, the prophet Zechariah wrote centuries earlier. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding a donkey on the colt, the foal of his donkey. God was fulfilling, even as bad things were happening, his plan to save them, to save you. Later, after centuries, it, it, it dawns on us that the innocent Jesus died for you and for me. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. Put your hope in the Lord, for with him is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. Remember that when those words come to your lips that God has a plan. God has a plan that may not be your plan. As you struggle with your family, as you struggle 
with sin, as you struggle with health, as you struggle with decisions. Yes, God has a plan, but it always has something to do with my salvation. It may be that He lets you struggle with with family and work and sin so that you realize that you're weak and that you need Him not only to just make it through and make good decisions, but you need Him to forgive you for your sin. To realize that that you have no hope of, of saving yourself after this life, but in Him, you do. Remember that as those words, God has a plan, comes to your mind, that God's plan always includes something to increase your faith, something to give you opportunities to serve Him, something that prepares you for the next life. We've been looking at three words of truth throughout all this Lent, and, and actually the, those three words of truth are the word today are the Lord's save us. In, in Hebrew, it's one word, Hosanna. And those are the words that give us hope, no matter what. Because no matter what our problems in life, no matter what our struggles here, we know that we have a Savior who came here who entered Jerusalem because he loves us, who did that all to save us. And no matter what happens in this life, it's temporary. And we can always cry out to him through it all, Lord, save us. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And we know that the Savior who suffered and died for us is the Savior also who rose from the dead and guarantees us eternal life. And so not just today, but every day, of our life, no matter what happens, we cry out to him, Hosanna, Lord save us. Please say it with me. Hosanna, Lord save us. Amen.